0: Welcome to Street Smart Success, where real estate entrepreneurs share their backgrounds, experience, and lessons learned. This is Roger Becker, your host. Learn with me as I drill down with guests about their paths to success and what they're doing now. So today we have with us a man who has done so incredibly well by very intelligently uh, identifying a asset class, maybe two, actually two, but mostly one asset class in one geographic market. He's not all over the country with, you know, funds and nine different asset classes, incredibly focused, very, very experienced and therefore very successful in South Florida and he is the president of current capital real estate group. He is Todd Napola. Todd, welcome back to Street Smart Success.
1: Well, thanks for having me for a second time. Roger, I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, and uh, I should say a good guy to boot, but uh which which is also true. I love talking to you so much Todd uh, a year ago and uh you know, wanted to get involved with you and did, and so I'm excited about that. But, but that's that's neither here nor there. So, the world has changed. It seems in the last few days, in particular, the financial system is getting crazy with with uh, Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank in New York, and et cetera, et cetera. Interest rates last year went up. It, I, I think it it a more precipitous pace than ever. And so since last year, what the heck's going on, man? What 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 are the tea leaves telling you?
1: Well, your guess is as good as mine, I guess. I mean, we would have to sit down with Jerome Powell to find out a little more information. But you know, it's you're 100% right. The world has changed a lot the last 3 days alone. I mean, since Thursday night of last week when uh, Silicon Valley Bank announced their problems, I think people realized this could become systemic and you could have a run on the banks and that's going to change the lending game at least in the next, well, probably for the rest of this year at least.
0: You Oh, you think for the rest of the year?
1: I think for sure. I think that, you know, uh, it's not even just the interest rates now. I have a lot of friends that are bankers, and I was on the phone with them on Monday and Tuesday a lot, trying to find out, you know, what do I do? What do you think we should do as far as moving money around, looking for FDIC protection? You know, they're not going to tell me the ins and outs of their banks, but what they are telling you is they know the Fed's going to change the rules on these smaller banks and how they lend. And let's face reality, everybody's pointing a finger, uh, you know, and saying signature uh Silicon Valley Bank, excuse me, is the worst bank. But if you look at all the billion dollar companies, they helped start with credit lines and loans when JP Morgan wasn't going to give those loans and Wells Fargo wasn't. This is a problem because these are the banks we need in America to fund entrepreneurs and you're going to have a harder time getting a loan, much harder time.
0: Okay. And, and, you know, when you talk about Silicon Valley bank, they were, like you said, they were kind of, you know, they're here in, in the Valley which this, that's where I am. And yeah, I don't need to repeat what you just said because why be redundant? But, but I guess the question then becomes so clearly, you know, if I'm a startup, if you're a startup and, uh, you know, as of right now, good luck. But I guess my question is, is where does the rubber meet the road in terms of the stuff you and I do, which is, tends to be real estate centric.
1: Yeah. Uh, another great question. I think if you need a loan in the next 30 to 60 days and you're trying to do a deal, you're not going to get it done. It's going to be virtually impossible because as we all know, banks don't really like risk and a bank's job is to you know regulate risk and take the money from the depositor and give it to the lender and capture the spread. But right now, with them not knowing if there's going to be a run on their banks. And when we say a run, it's not like it's going to be 2008, but you start getting people that get worried about having over 250,000 in an account. They're starting to bank shop and they're taking out their 250 and opening accounts all over town just so they have peace of mind, which isn't necessarily the wrong idea. But every time that 250 comes out or that million comes out of these banks, they have less capital. And when they have less capital, these banks have to start selling off their treasuries, which now we all recognize they're upside down in their treasuries. And it's going to be a problem. And if on top of that, we know the Fed is going to change the rules, the FDIC is going to change the rules on lending, and these smaller banks won't be able to lend as much money. So I would venture to guess in 60 days, you're going to see virtually no lending to people in real estate doing these kind of deals, unless the loan was committed to when the bank has an obligation. But new deals, I don't think they'll even look at them right now.
0: Is it a scenario in the next, why, you know, it could be next 60 days, but let's say the rest of the year it takes for the dust to settle, what have you. Will there be investors basically paying cash for deals and sellers that are, you know, not necessarily distressed, but let's just say distressed? So I guess for cash buyers in this kind of environment, will there be like incredible deals?
1: I think you got two markets that are going to help
0: you. I think you got the cash
1: buyers, which, yeah, cash will be king, as they say at this point, because if you could close, you could close. And the second is, which is a humongous market, which a lot of people don't talk about, is the private lending. And you have all these hard equity lenders out there, and they have so much capital lined up, ready to go. And, you know, they monitor a little bit differently than the bank, because it's really their money or their investors' money. And you'll be paying a lot higher interest rate. But in turn, you'll be probably getting a lot better deal on the property. But if you're looking for a conventional loan, five-year fixed rate or something like that from your local community bank, I don't think you're going to see it in the next 60 days. I think it'll work itself out by the summertime, but I think the next 60 to 90 days is going to be real tough.
0: Is there enough hard money out there? Because in my mind, it's like, and I think you've probably already convinced me I'm wrong in this perception. But when I hear hard money, and maybe it's because this has been my exposure to it, I think of you know hard money guys against House flippers. That's what I think, you know, the guys that charge the house flipper 12% or 13% or whatever the heck it is. But you now have informed me it's actually an industry that's way more bigger and probably sophisticated than that. So I guess the question is, is that is there, you know, if you compare compare the amount of that capital available compared to, you know, out of the traditional banking system when things are your normal quote unquote, is it enough money to, to keep the market buoyed, uh, as it pertains, let's say to, to, you know, uh, you know, non, non-grocery anchored strip or light industrial or what have you. Well, my belief is
1: I don't think the banks are going to go anywhere. I think they're just going to be scared right now and they don't want to make a decision that could hurt them, but there's so much private money. We're not just talking about, you know, some guy who runs a small fund with a hundred million dollars, Barry Sternlicht. you know, was talking about, he's going to start getting into lending and this is billions upon billions of billions of dollars. No one's going to replace the banking system, but there's so much capital alongside that you can capture. It's going to cost you more money right now, but there'll always be capital to get.
0: I got it. Okay. and I, and I, and I wouldn't, it wasn't thinking in terms of like long term, but I'm thinking even just in the next yeah. year. So, the, but your point is there's still a ton of money. I guess there's, we're in a country where there's just a ton of money. You know, I, I see it a lot living down here in South Florida. Every day there's
1: another family coming from Brazil. Now you have Chile and Colombia because of all the uncertainty in their government. And it's not the middle class family from these countries moving here. It's the super rich moving their money here because they're scared of what's going to happen. So you have people moving here with, or even moving their money here with tens of millions of dollars and looking to buy things. And, you know, with all this stuff that happened in banking in the past week, the one thing I haven't heard anyone say is they're concerned about having their money in real estate. They were saying, thank God I had my money in real estate because that, you know, I don't have to worry about a run on my real estate. So that's where you want it. You want it in hard assets where you're protected. You know, it could be, I don't know, gold, cars, boats. I mean, whatever you think is a real asset. Great. But people are very scared of the bank right now. It'll be short lived, but you know,
0: the news will get us excited for a few months. Yeah. People have short memories. Yeah, I get it. Okay. Well uh, enough on that. I guess my question is, and and some of this will be, you know, you, you and I, or I reviewing what we've already come up with, but I guess I know that you clearly have done and are doing a lot of retail, but I also know that you've done light industrial. And I guess, broadly speaking, looking at the horizon, where we're headed, do you envision doing more of one or the other or less of one or the other, or, or is it just one-off deals and who knows where the, you know how, how the dust will settle?
1: I would say in the near future, in the next you know three to five years, I'm sure my sweet spot will stay in the retail centers like, you know, the ones we buy, which are generally centers that, are, you know, from the 60s, 70s, 80s, even into the 90s. And we'll buy these centers that are massive one story centers that take up a lot of land on main streets, you know, like for the property that, you know, we did last year in December. It's 14 and a half acres of land and 165,000 square feet of center. But now you could build 12 stories there. So we're really almost land banking and cash flowing while we're land banking and letting the land mature. And industrial is still so hot that any slight pullback, you're going to have such demand to get in there. I have to go where the better deal is. So I'm not chasing after a product type, I'm chasing after the better deal. And the better deal for me right now will still be in retail.
0: Is retail, I know there for a minute, it was out of favor because there was this kind of, um, very, very common sentiment about, you know, that Amazon was going to put these, you know, retail out of business. I think that the market, you know, just if I'm thinking anecdotally in terms of people I've spoken to in the last couple of years, I don't think that's a prevailing sentiment anymore. But at the same time, I'm not sure it's completely gone away. I guess on the continuum uh, along those lines, where where do you think it, it, it where do you think it is right now?
1: Well, when they came out with that statement, retail is dead. I kind of really liked it because it allowed me to buy a lot of shopping centers. Uh, but you're right that that sentiment has long since died because the facts are the facts. There's positive absorption of retail centers every single year. Uh, we're doing better and better in the retail market. And what's happening is you're losing a lot of retail. You know, especially in Florida, we're losing a lot because you know we're building so much. But throughout the entire country. You're seeing the giant mega malls go down, which count as retail space. You're seeing a 2 million square foot mall be demolished and repurposed and turned into office and retail stores and, you know, shopping, you know, a grocery center. So when you lose that massive scale of retail, you're creating less. Uh, In the state of Florida right now, the retail development is virtually non-existent because you have so many factors, which one is the biggest is now new interest rates. And you're talking about borrowing money for new construction. You can be at 9%, 10 11% now, where you were at 4% last year. Our insurance in the state of Florida is ridiculous now at Windstorm. Windstorm policies here are doubling and tripling. On top of that, you can't get labor and you can't get materials. So you're not going to see a lot of people build shopping centers anymore because they can't get the rent to make it worthwhile. What's being built in Florida right now is residential. And sometimes it'll have a ground floor component of retail. But for the most part, the only thing we're building here is residential apartments. And there's still a massive demand for that. So like I said earlier, the center that we have from December, that's 14 acres. If that center disappeared tomorrow, nobody would ever build a one-story center there. They'd build 8 to 12 stories of apartments across the whole darn thing. You'd see no more retail. And that's the highest and best use for the land now.
0: Hmm. You said something I hadn't really heard, so therefore hadn't thought of. How much, and it's probably not, I don't know, maybe it is, but I wouldn't think it's possible to quantify, but just anecdotally, how much is the, is the um, you know, the malls going away, helping, you know, strip centers?
1: Well, the malls were coupled in the same place, the strip center. And, you know, if we just use a little common sense, the people who went to the mall, a lot of us would say, well, the weather's bad. I'm going to go to the mall, walk around, have lunch and look at the stores. That's different than a retail strip center where you say, my back hurts. I need to go to the chiropractor or I want to, you know, run to the grocery store and buy some food tonight. So they're both classed in the same retail category. So when you hear about all these massive numbers of vacancy in retail, you could be talking about one Sears that went out of business, which was 300,000 feet and saying, well, there's 300,000 square feet of vacancy to absorb. That's not really related to, you know, a guy who has a, a 50,000 square foot strip center. So that number was offsetting to a lot of people, but now you're seeing all those big buildings be demolished and repurposed to new uses.
0: But you don't think Todd necessarily, maybe this is what you're saying, but I'm just trying to look for clarification. You don't necessarily think the people that like you said, Oh, it's a rainy day. I want to go look at a bunch of stores. So that, that traffic isn't necessarily now going to strip centers per se, because it's just a different animal. I, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm just trying to see what you're saying.
1: They're two different experiences and everything is, I guess, based on an experience. But what I will say is the malls are going to be around and I go to the mall, probably everybody goes to the mall and some people say, well, I don't buy as much in the mall, but there's still a purpose for a mall, except it's going to be best in class. If I think about now the area where I live in, there's probably five or six malls, seven malls that are over a million square feet within 10 miles of me, any direction. I would venture to guess 90% of those will be gone in the next 10 years or less because the land is too valuable and those stores can't thrive. So now instead of having as many opportunities, you're pushing them. Like, for example, where I live in South Florida there's the Aventura Mall. That's best in class in this area. There's Sawgrass Mills Mall, best in class. But then we have some other malls. I don't want to say their names to offend anybody, but they're just older malls. And they're sitting on hundreds of acres of land on major intersections. And they're going to knock them down. That's just the inevitable choice.
0: Mm, got it. And it'll be residential primarily.
1: You know, what they're doing, and I see it a lot here now, is there are retail, but it's retail to the street where you park and pull up and go in. It's a lot of restaurants and movie theaters and bowling alleys and improv clubs. So it's experience. People don't really necessarily want to walk around the Sears anymore or JCPenney, but they still want to go and have fun with their friends and play pool and go to a bar. So that's there. Well, when you have all this land, the best way to create traffic is if you're going to take it, well, let's also build 1600 apartments. So we have built in customers for this and it works very well. When you see them doing it, it's been very, very profitable.
0: Got it. Yep. You know what? Nothing, nothing stays the same, man. I mean, things are always changing. You see that everywhere. So I guess given the dynamic that you've described, that it's become it's almost not impossible, but it's become very difficult to build, right? Because of all the headwinds, the economic labor shortage, you, you just can't, you can't pencil new developments. That being the case, you have no new product, you got increasing population. Uh, people understand that, you know, there's there's absorption, so occupancies are strong. So I guess, is that impacted the the pricing? you know, is it, is it getting just harder and harder because you have more and more competition or what's the landscape?
1: Yeah. You know, I can only speak of the Florida market that I'm in, which is basically East coast Jacksonville all the way down. So I'm no expert when you leave the state. I mean, I know Florida pretty well, but with the population growth we've had and all the residential that's being built and all the people moving to this state, which I fully support, And the lack of new construction for retail and the fact that they've demolished so much of it, yeah, it's driven the right the prices of retail to the moon. I mean, it's really gone up a lot, and there's really no way to turn it back. There's just not enough retail anymore, and you could drive down any street you want in South Florida market. You can go in Fort Lauderdale, Miami, and unless the owner's repositioning something, there's no vacancy. And as fast as one store comes out, another one comes in. And you'll see a lot of times it'll be like a store you'll never heard of. A mom and pop store has been there for 30 years and then even all of a sudden Starbucks wants that space and Chipotle wants that space because there's no new spaces around.
0: So I guess over simplistically, what a cap rates look like today compared to, you know, a few years ago or five years ago or even one year ago.
1: Well, that area is a really great question too, because that is still what is a big disconnect. And I think that's the problem we have in real estate right now with seeing some you know, velocity of trades is that sellers still have a cap rate in mind that they could have gotten in 2020 or maybe even 2021. But we're in 2023 and it's an entirely different world. If you would have brought an average retail center to the market at a six cap, it would have been 30 bids on it, over you know, subscribed, everybody would have wanted it. But at this point, people bringing me six caps and I'm like everybody else. I can't even look at a six cap because I can't even borrow at 6%. So I'm not even interested. I actually have a guy coming today to meet me and he's got a public anchored center and he wants a six cap on the deal. I'm like, but it still makes no sense because you got to do so much work. It it could be a sub six cap and that deal would have traded in the fours a year and a half ago. But you know, money's expensive right now. Costs have gone up and we don't know how much we could pass on to our tenants. So we'll see. It's going to be a tricky time right now.
0: Tricky time. Do you do any grocery anchored? No, we managed some grocery anchored
1: centers, but I don't personally own any centers.
0: Okay. And is there a reason for that?
1: It's more personal that I've always been a little shy of buying the centers that are controlled by one. And I have a client who has this and I always tell the story. I actually put it in my book. I talk about it. And there was a grocery store there and he owned all the inline stuff. If you lose the grocery store, you could kill the whole property. And I'm just a bigger fan that I like the 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 5,000, even 10,000 square foot units that if one or two or three people leave, it doesn't hurt the whole center. But if you have a, here we have Publix is you know, top in class, but if Publix is in the center and they decide they're going to leave, you have a major nightmare or problem because you can't support the rest of the inline stuff and they're paying higher rents and Publix is paying virtually nothing. So I've always been scared of those anchor type units.
0: Yeah. So it's just, it's your, it's your risk profile.
1: Yeah. Like I think they're great. My mentor in this business only does grocery anchor centers and he's phenomenal and he loves it, but it's just what you prefer.
0: Hey, Street Smart listeners, I'd like to introduce a great partner for you. As you know, insurance is one of the biggest expenses on the P&L. That's why I'm recommending Assured Partners. Assured Partners helps you lower risk and therefore can save you tons of money down the road. They insure over 2 million market rate and affordable units and are the sixth largest insurance property broker in the U.S. If you want a roll your sleeves up partner that blankets you with service, give Robert Band, vice president, a call. Robert thinks like a CFO because he was a CFO for many years. Give Robert a call now at 305-467-5909. You'll be glad you did. In the last year, and let's call it well you you could define it however you want, but you, you said you're pretty much Jacksonville down to South Florida. I, I think you're probably more concentrated in South Florida. You can correct me yeah. if I'm just because of where you are and all that. How many in what's in your wheelhouse, uh, from a square footage perspective and vintage perspective, how many trade a year?
1: As far as we trade a year, you're saying sales?
0: Uh-oh. No, no, no. How many how many? Not necessarily you, but just how many get bought and sold a year in your market? Oh,
1: probably count them on a hand. I mean, it's it's very few shop, you know, Class A centers get sold. The other problem we have is like, again, the biggest one we have here is Publix and Publix has become its own landlord because their cost of capital is so cheap. So now as a real estate investor, you're competing against Publix buying their own properties. So for real retail guys to get these centers, it's it's really, really
0: tough. You said you can count on one hand?
1: I think you can count on
0: one hand how many trades happen a month here. Yeah. Oh, a month. I asked per year. Oh, per year. Oh, God. That's <laughs> <laughs> per year.
1: No, you'll see some. You you'll see very few. Uh when you were talking about, like I said, like a public anchored. There are other markets and other grocery anchors here. Like, you know, we do have winn Dixie. We do have Sedanos and, and a lot of other ones. So I would lower that the bar down for them a little. But on a public center trading, you may
0: see two, three per month. H- how about non non-grocery anchored, the stuff that you do? Those trade
1: a lot. Lately, like in the last six months, very, very few because of the change in the, the number to borrow. But you, you do see a lot of those trade. What's a lot? Statistic. I'd hate to guess on it. But I mean, I, I guess just from looking at the the news, I should say Broward County, there's got to be 30 transactions a month at least. Oh,
0: oh so so this so that, that's, that's, that would be, so that is some velocity, right? I mean, that's a few hundred a year. Oh, yeah. And I'm thinking, like it seems to me like you do stuff you know, in the hundred thousand square foot range, probably some, maybe less, but some more, but is that a general brushstroke
1: in that size? You're going to see much less. I was speaking of just good centers that would trade that things that, you know, people could buy, but yeah, when you get into 70, 80, 90, 000 square foot, you may see two, three a month.
0: Okay. What, what is the smallest center you would do?
1: I love real estate. I actually had this conversation with another bank yesterday and they were saying, you know, our lending limits are going to be brought down, but still consider us. And I said, I love the deal. So I know that it doesn't make great sense to buy small properties because a small property takes just as much time as a larger property. It's the same management, the same headache, but a smaller return. But I really enjoy them. So I would buy a small center all day long if I thought it had upside. It really wouldn't matter the size. I just enjoy it. I'm very lucky. I have the team on board with me here at Current Capital that helped me do all the work, so we could handle it. So I, I would buy. I'd buy a five thousand square foot center. I'd buy a ten thousand square foot center if it
0: made sense. Okay, and if you do those, you just do take those down yourself, or do you do you bring yeah. partners in?
1: Yeah, on deals like that, I always say any deal under six, seven million dollars, it's not beneficial to bring partners in. It's just much too small, and the cost of you know the legal fees and putting the whole deal together to bring on partners to raise that little bit of money, it's not worth it for me. Uh, it's worth it in the beginning if you're starting out. I think it's great, but when you get to a certain level, it's better you just put a cap and say anything below here I'll do separately. Anything above here I'll do with teams and partners. So that's how I always do. It, yes,
0: I see. And then, are you right now? Are are you focused? And I asked this at the top of our conversation, and you answered it. You know, you're 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 clearly retail centered, as mm-hmm. I as I, I kind of knew. Do you do? Have you done any industrial deals over the last couple of years? Well, you know, I've told everybody this. I think we've acquired about six, seven hundred thousand feet
1: of retail in the last two years. And I bought one warehouse building for ten thousand feet. And it wasn't a good deal. I bought it because I bought it because it was near my office. And I said, I'm just gonna buy it because I want to park some money and I like it. Now it's turned out to be a good deal because we've had to go in and modernize the building. We changed all the doors and the windows and nah, na na. But it wasn't a home run. I just wanted it because it was small bay warehouse. So sometimes you could buy those. It's like Some people want to buy an antique car. I bought that. Two years later, it's a great deal. But when I bought it, the return was not impressive. No investor would have looked at this deal and said, yeah, I want in so much.
0: I see. And that's the
1: problem with industrial now. They're not great deals. But there are people with plenty of capital that are buying them saying, I'm not worried about now. I'm worried about five, 10 years down the road. And that's great. That's not my investor profile. I need to have a cash flow return now. But it works for some people and God bless them.
0: Yeah. It's like multifamily... In San Francisco, and d- despite what the the rumors of or whatever about San Francisco, it's yeah, there are some areas with some serious homeless for sure. But most of the city isn't like that. And, and still, if you were to buy a you know a ten unit apartment building in a really nice area. You're gonna pay through the nose, you're gonna put forty percent down to break even, but it's never, you know, barring black swan, you know, you know, plague that's you know from the middle ages, barring that, you're it will never be vacant. The rents will never come down beyond a certain point. And you just know, like if it's a you're doing it for your kids, it's just over time. Yeah, it's, it's like a, it, yeah, it's a very conservative place to put your money. You were saying earlier that just because of the growth, the people keep coming that, you know, as soon as one retailer vacates, another one comes in. I think that's what you said. I guess across your portfolio, what are you seeing occupancy numbers at?
1: Pretty much across the portfolio, other than things we bought with some vacancy, everything is in the high 90 percentile or 100 percent full. And as fast as we get a vacancy, someone comes and absorbs it, usually even a higher price. Unbelievable! How long has that been the case? I hate to say, since they started giving out free money, but pretty much since they started giving, out- <laughs> we were in really good shape before COVID. I mean, we had a lot of sleepless nights when COVID hit and I had a lockdown. But once they started with the free money and tenants started getting, you know, free rent checks, because in Florida there was not, we're not in any residential, so there's no rental forgiveness. But the government, the cities, everybody was given free rent. So. Even tenants that weren't going to survive, weren't going anywhere because they were getting money from the city that were paying their rent. And every month we were receiving so many checks from cities. So you weren't losing any tenants that would have gone out of business if it wasn't for the subsidy. And on top of that, people were getting all this free money and they used to work from home and now they got some free money in their hand. They want to start a business. So the growth had been explosive. And it's not just my centers. I'd like to say I'm so smart and so great, but it's every center down here is full.
0: Historically, when a when a when a, a bad recession hits, what are the what are the numbers look like then?
1: The bad, last bad recession, I would think, would really would go back to two thousand eight, when you know the the market imploded and there was a lot of fraud in the market. So it recovered very quickly, and that's like what I'll say about even now. People are very scared, but these things last a short time. And I know a lot of people had a horrible time with COVID, but even COVID is kind of behind us now too. So you just got to be able to weather a storm and get out of it. So I don't think people, if you're not over-leveraged and in big financial trouble, you should never panic when things get bad. You just got to find a way to make it through. You got to maybe cut some expenses. You got to be careful. Maybe you don't do any improvements on the property. But we really don't see a a very big vacant market down here. Now, there are areas that have, you know, whether they're building a train. I know they were building the Brightline train here, and a lot of places got knocked out because there was construction in front of them. So if it's not a situation like that, since I've been in Florida well over 30 years, there's never really been a big vacancy problem.
0: That is interesting. Hmm. Uh, Well, I guess along those lines then, and especially like the way it is now, with the velocity that you, you got, you know, you don't have an issue filling. So how does that impact TI? Does that mean you you don't need to do as much TI just because the market is in your favor? And and I we spoke about it last time and you had an interesting philosophy in, in, in my old age dotage. I forgot what you said, but it was interesting. I think you said you didn't do TI, but correct me if I'm wrong. What's your, how do you handle that?
1: I'm against TI. TI benefits some landlords, and I always tell people, investors, so they should always listen to this, be careful how much TI a tenant got when they opened because they paid a rent based on getting free money, essentially, from the landlord. My belief is I would rather give virtually no TI to tenants, especially to mom and pops and higher risk tenants, and let them put their money in it. Because if they put their money in it and they have a lower rent, they're gonna work harder to keep the place. The issue is, is if I subsidize someone, I've had people come to me all the time. If you build out a restaurant, I'll rent it from you. But then I just built your restaurant so you really can't pay it. So it's my restaurant. So I don't like to do TI in that sense. But yes, if you have the national tenants, the Dollar Generals and these kind of guys, I mean, I'm doing a deal with the state of Florida right now. There's TI dollars you have to spend, but they're high credit tenants. But TI allowances allow people to bump up the rents. And I've seen it before. Where a landlord will come in, they'll give a lot of TI to tenants, even if they're existing, they'll offer them free money, bump the rents up just to sell the center. a new guy will come along, a new guy or girl will come along, they'll buy the property, and they'll think they're in such great position and only come to find out that these rents can't be sustained and then people start complaining and the rents go down. And you get hurt. you can get really badly hurt like that. So you so got to make sure the rents are in line.
0: So the existing tenant gets to a point where they can't afford the rent so they have to negotiate it down or is it the or they that yeah, that's what you're saying?
1: It's both. I mean, they either come to you and negotiate it down and they say, you know, I'm paying for argument's sake, $40 a foot, but th- across the street's 30. And they forget the fact that, yeah, but you got $200,000 on the landlord, but they don't care anymore. That money's been spent and now it's there. They're just saying, but it's cheaper across the street. And if you lose this tenant, you're now competing with the guy across the street who's 30. So giving TI money is just pumping up the valuation of the property, which is a tricky way to sell the property. But it's not sustainable. So I like to see people have skin in the game. And I can tell you, if a, a tenant comes along and they put their heart on money, and I mean, I have tenants, I see them with their families and their kids, and I think there's nothing better. I did it with my father, you know, painting the unit, working on the floors, putting in the furniture, they're buying things at Ikea. You do that, you're very invested in your unit and your space to make it work. These are people who work till 11, 12 o'clock at night. I have some nail salons that are there at 11 and 12 o'clock at night on the weekends, on Friday and Saturday, because they're going to make sure they can pay the rent. and if you just opened the nail salon and gave somebody all the money, I don't know that they'd be that personally invested in it.
0: Are there um, other landlords or how many other landlords that do your kind of property, 60s to 90s, let's say vintage, early 2000s, whatever the heck it is, but basically similar profile. Are you unique in your uh, approach to this or or is it pretty much, are, are you more representative of, of the market overall?
1: I would say I'm much more representative of the market for owners operators. So what gets a little tricky is if you hire a property management company, my company doesn't, but a lot of companies charge a fee based on when a landlord does work. So if the landlord's going to spend $200,000 in the unit to do stuff, there's fees that these management companies get. So they're almost incentivized from time to time to see these dollars get spent. But the owners down here in South Florida, there's a few guys here that are monsters and, you know much bigger than what I do, of course. And they own the properties. and They follow the same mentality that they want to see you put your heart, you know, blood, sweat, and tears into your store and they'll give you a lower rent. And that also works the opposite way too, because now if they're paying 25 and across the street is 30, now they never want to go and they're happy they're paying 25. So I would rather give lower rent. My properties will have a lower valuation, but I'm not selling them anyway or refinancing. So I don't care about that, but I have tenants that are really personally more invested.
0: Hmm. Interesting uh, dialogue. What would you say is the average uh, length of tenancy for you in, in the Monpa Pa tenants? I'll tell
1: you this. The first property I bought in June of 1998, still own it today, I tell everybody that because I'm not a seller. One, it's seven tenants. When I bought it, three of them weren't there. Three of the four original tenants are still there.
0: Wow. Yep.
1: And only one, he had two locations. And when the market got bad, he moved to a second location. And he closed mine down because he wasn't on lease. He was still in business, but he just moved to another location. So I have three tenants that have been there for 25 years. Now, I don't want to remind them of this, but I'm sure they know it. But I do want to remind all your real estate investors out there. They bought me that building multiple times over.
0: <laughs> their rent their rent bought the building. Yeah, I, I get it. Well, that that's why we do this stuff. Is is are, are those outliers? So, I mean, in some of your bigger centers where you might have 50 or 60 or however many tenants, there's got to be an, an average, right? A state average, a national average. Do, do you have a sense, I mean, is of what that is? It really depends on the use.
1: And again, sometimes people move because they outgrew it. Sometimes people move out because they move or unfortunately pass away or there's a divorce or something happens. But if you look across the board at any center that's been in business for, say, 20 years, probably anywhere, but certainly in South Florida, 20, 30 years, you're going to always find some original tenants there. You know, Like I said, the deal we just did in December, that property was built 35 years ago, and there's still a Chinese restaurant there. There's a few tenants that have been there, but the Chinese restaurant was an original tenant, and it's still there, and it's still doing well. It's been passed off to new family members, but it just keeps going. And sometimes the ownership changes, but the use stays the same and the, you know, the name of the business stays the same. But if you just drive through any center, you're going to see like, you know, the dentist, the dentists never want to move. The cost to move is too great. You know, you, you'll see chiropractors don't move. A lot of times insurance people don't move. If you build a business to the community, you don't want to move. And believe it or not, moving even across the street, you will lose a lot of business. So people, when they get in, they really don't want to leave. It's thankfully.
0: <laughs> it's sticky, right? I mean, it's it it makes sense, but I, it's not what I would have thought. Yeah. That's why I do the podcast. I learn stuff when I talk to, to people like you, Todd. What percentage, like your tenant profile, what percentage would you say are restaurants at this point? And and I guess even broader, like what are the biggest categories? Is it is it like, you know, uh medical you know, chiropractor, dental, like what, what's the profile overall?
1: Restaurants would be a bigger percentage on square footage only because they're generally larger. So yes, we have the small little, you know, 1200, 1500 square foot smoothie shop or sandwich shop or subway. But for the most part, a lot of the restaurants we have could be eight, ten, twelve thousand 10, 12,000 square feet. People don't realize how large restaurants are when they walk in and they say, this is the restaurant. They don't realize the back of the house, the kitchen is usually one third the size of the whole restaurant and how much wasted space there are between angles and bathrooms and stuff. So restaurants per square footage are one of the largest tenants, but percentage-wise, I would say about 10-12% of our portfolio is in the food business, in restaurant business.
0: What's the biggest category?
1: That's a really good question to pinpoint it, but I would definitely say it's business-related to the tuna. I would call it the insurance brokers, whether it's auto or health care. It's, you know, guys who have architectural firms that want to have a small office. It's the lawyers. It's the $99 clinics that sell health things. It's general professional is the most common. The smallest amount by far is general retail, whereby they're selling items to the public that they expect to walk in. So we do have that. We actually have a, a football player. He just put his wife in business at one of our centers and she used to sell clothes online. So now she's selling at the store. That is. Is very rare now. It happens, but there's a lot fewer people trying to open stores to sell to the public just for that purpose. But for the most part, they're, they're still there a little bit. Gosh, wow!
0: Is that is that was that different twenty years ago?
1: Oh yeah, because twenty years ago you couldn't buy your stuff online, so right. every store you had that—that's when J.C. Penney and Sears was thriving. That's like when I was a kid. I would get the Sears catalog at Christmas time and you'd circle the things you wanted. You know, now you just go to Amazon or online. Everybody has an online presence, Walmart, Target, everybody, and you can buy it and order it. And I just did it from the container store. I ordered it from the container store and they'll ship it. But what people don't realize is the reason I think of the container store is because I drive by it every day. Yeah. If the container store is going to deliver it from that store, you see, because what used to be the container store could get a warehouse for four or five dollars a foot and have a centralized location. It's now cheaper for them just to drop ship it right out of those stores. And that was Amazon's move when they bought Whole Foods is that they were going to carve out the back so they had access to these high net worth individual you know, families in the area because generally where Whole Foods is, there's some money in the area, but you couldn't get in the area. So they're selling other Amazon products out of the back of Whole Foods that you don't even see anymore. They're just shrinking the floor plan, but yet they're using the store as distribution because they can't be 100 miles out and get you your product in an hour.
0: Wow. So I guess what I'm hearing is, um, you know, broadly speaking, is that retail has really just been and probably not deliberate on anybody's part, but it's really been repositioned and it's now almost... I'm just maybe, I don't know if these words are the right words or not, but it's almost hybrid use. Like is, so it's like, it's, it's like office space really. I mean, that's kind of what you're describing. Right. I mean, so I guess the guy, maybe if you're the insurance guy, it still behooves you to have frontage somewhere, right. To have visibility, uh, which you're not going to get in an office tower. And so it's almost this hybrid utilization. Is that, correct?
1: Well, you hit on one thing there about the office. So that's one market that I was never really involved in. It was never one of my favorites. The office market, I think they're going to have a lot of problems. Uh, I could tell you, I don't see people ever going back to work the way we Americans did pre-COVID. Uh, and I think it's almost funny because when we hear about the Europeans and how they take three-hour you know, rests in the middle of the day, and we're all so jealous, but we're kind of going that way a little. We're trying to get to four-day work weeks or the hybrid where people are working three days in the office and two days outside. But what's also happened, and we've gained a lot of tenants from this, there's a lot of people who don't want to be in an office building anymore because they don't want to interact with so many people. And they're afraid if there's a lockdown, they don't want to ever have a problem where they have to be in an office. So they prefer a storefront. It's like having a house versus living in an apartment. A storefront is yours. If you want to come unlock the door, you can. If you want to be left alone in there, you can. If you're in a 200,000 square foot office complex, you got to share elevators and ride up with people. So we've seen a big migration out of office into the retail centers for people opening their businesses.
0: Right place, right time, because of your your genius and a little bit of luck, didn't hurt? I've only had to be here for 25 years to be right. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you just have to wait. That's out of office, and who, who who would have predicted these things? My, my yeah. goodness gracious, wow. Okay. Well, I mean, this has been unbelievable as it was the last time. I guess uh, before I let you go. So when you take over a center that there's obviously a value add component, otherwise you're not going to buy it. And it sounds like the, the occupancy is not an issue do you go in knowing, well, you're just, or, or, or sometimes maybe it is, is it, Hey, I'm just going to fill this place up with like kind tenants, or is it that you're going to upgrade the premise and therefore get higher end customers and, and and then change the profile of the tenant base? Or is it pretty much, no, man, we're just going to max out what they're currently doing, but we're going to, we're going to get more tenants and and raise the rents. Do I, I don't know. Am I making my, the question clear?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It's a very simple answer. What we're looking to do is to take care of our tenants and we want to give them the best experience too, because they're there every single day. And we love the customers who come and the clients who come, but we're trying to make the experience for the tenants special. So we want to find things. So for example, if you have a shopping center, it's a large center, like one of the ones we have, you want to make sure there's things there. So if one of the medical office wants to open there, they need to know that their staff could walk a few feet and get a coffee or a sandwich. So we try and put things in and help each other. And we need to know that they, they correlate with each other. So therefore, they could coexist. But we generally go into centers, like you said, when we say value add, we're looking for centers that people haven't necessarily mistreated, but they haven't put any new modernization into it, which is like the LED lighting, the camera systems that people want at their properties, the landscaping, you know, modernizing the facade, maybe taking down barrel tile and putting up new modern metal, just enhancing the property. You don't have to rip a whole center down to shreds and rebuild it and retenant it. You just got to make it beautiful for what it is in today's day and age. And if tenants can coexist and as things to do, you know, we have a VCA hospital one about properties and that was the reason they came was because right next door, we have a Walgreens. And in the property, that's a big plus to them because they know that they could go over there and they could grab a, a soda or a juice or something. We have a market so they can go over there and get a sandwich at lunchtime. If they don't have that, they have over 20 people working there their entire staff has to leave our property and go elsewhere, and they don't want that. Just like any business owner would like to keep their employees nearby, so these are the kind of things we do to make the centers better, so everybody could do better together.
0: Hmm. Todd, what would you say? You said twenty-five years. What would you say is uh, the most important lesson or lessons you've learned?
1: Great question. Uh, I've been very lucky to be in the real estate business as I think everybody's been pretty lucky to be in it. The most important lessons is don't over leverage your property. Don't panic when like a time like now is coming. Yes, make decisions based on the fact that we are seeing some turmoil in the markets. We know that inflation was out of control, but don't panic and you got to be patient. You got to stick with the plan. So if you love real estate, I would absolutely buy another property right now. I bought properties in June of 2020 in the heart of COVID. We literally were coming out of a lockdown in Florida and I was dealing with the closing on another 150,000 feet. If you stay the course for the long time, like I said before, you always seem to look smart. Luckily, I didn't have to wait 25 years to be right in my properties, but the longer you're in the game, the better it'll be. But stick to the plan. It's almost like when I see guys in the stock market that want to trade or trade these cryptocurrencies. If you're trying to get in and out and flip houses and do stuff, that could work. I'm not saying it won't. It just has no longevity. But I could show anyone the centers that I bought in 1998 and 2000 and 2010. If you realize the valuation of these properties and how my tenants have bought me these properties, I'm so thankful they have. But all I had to do was take care of my tenants. and They bought me these buildings. If I had sold any of these buildings, I would have spent the money by now or I would have been taxed on the money. So just leave them alone and stick to the plan. And don't worry.
0: I love your simplicity. I really do. All right. Well, here here's the last question, Todd. And and I'm I'm looking at you and I'm thinking, if you hadn't been in real estate, Todd, okay, you could have been in the movies. You're you're a gorgeous guy. And so as a result of that, you you've got to have women throwing themselves at you. And how do you how do you deal with that? I don't know how I would deal with that if I were you. Well,
1: it's very easy. I have a wife. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually really love my wife. So I don't want any women throwing themselves at me. That's not a good move. (laughs) And she's much more beautiful than I am. So I actually have to worry, be jealous of her. (laughs) So I don't have to worry about that one. However, yes, South Florida is a, is a, a land full of very beautiful people. So I guess you see it all the time, but you know, it's like anything else. You you just got to be happy in your relationship. She's been great support for me. So, I'm not interested in any other women. (laughs) And for all my investors out there, you should be thankful I'm not because that doesn't work out well.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, I had to ask the question. I mean, you know, gosh, if, if I had the hair, the looks, I don't even know what I would do. Anyway... Todd, this has been beautiful. Listen, how Thank does you. one get a hold of you if they want to? Okay. Engage and I could say for for my listeners, this guy's a great guy to do business with uh, because I, I'm doing business with them and I'm probably going to do more business with them. How does, one, right, how does one find you, Todd? I'm
1: going gonna, I'm gonna to pitch this right now and you know this is coming right now. So I like to give back. And if I had a second career, it would definitely be in teaching now because I've gotten to a point that I love to give back which is why, like I told you when I met you and I told you, I wrote a book. So the book is called Keeping It Real on Commercial Real Estate. This tells everybody my story, what I've learned in over 25 to 30 years of real estate. It gives it away. It's a nice, easy book. It's 200 pages. It's got a few pictures. But the key is I wrote this book and all proceeds are going to charity. I don't want anyone thinking I wrote a book to better myself or to make money. I did it to help people. And if you want to get in real estate, I think it's a great book for people to read. If they want to get a hold of me, all my contact information is in there too. And after your blast you know, podcast, I had a lot of people call me. You could call my office at Current Capital, 954-966-8181. You could email me at todd at cc-reg.com. Any way you want, you can find me. I'm always happy to help new investors make a decision, especially when it's not you know something that I'm not involved in. I will give you my honest opinion, but I can't stress enough to people. Get involved in real estate. Just get yourself involved because there's really no better asset class. People think having money in the bank was so safe, but myself included, we lost a little sleep this weekend. Money in the bank is not the safest place. You've got to put your money to work.
0: Words of wisdom from Todd Napola. <laughs> Todd, <laughs> buy, buy the book. And Todd, I want to do this with you next year. I'd love to. All right. I'll talk to you Thanks soon. Thanks so much. Appreciate Have the you. opportunity. Yep. Bye.